Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 440. It's titled, Beware of Platform Risk. In finance and business, a platform is an online space where users transact business or exchange information. The platform can act as an intermediary that connects buyers and sellers for goods, services, or investments. Airbnb is a platform for booking vacation homes from owners of vacation properties. Amazon is a platform for buying and selling goods. In 2022, independent sellers on Amazon's platform made up 60% of sales, selling 4.1 billion goods that year. Brokerage firms such as Schwab or Fidelity are platforms for buying and selling investment securities. Other investment-related platforms include crowdfunding real estate, cryptocurrency lending, and platforms for investing in startups. Social media platforms like Instagram or Twitter provide a venue for users to interact and often to sell goods or services. Platforms have proliferated over the past decade and a half, and they have become more powerful. Amazon, for example, is is an absolutely huge platform. Martin Kenny and John Seisman are two academics that have studied these platforms, and they came up with the term in 2018 of the platform economy because In their words, digital platforms are becoming dominant economic and social intermediaries. They've just become bigger and more powerful. In today's episode, I want to kick off our discussion of platform risk with a real estate platform I began using in 2016. I think it's a good example because it allows us to see the pros and cons of investing platforms. In September 2016, While attending FinCon, a conference of financial media professionals, bloggers, podcasters, it was held in San Diego, and I met with Brett Crosby, one of the co-founders of Peer Street, an online platform for investing in real estate-backed loans. These loans are sometimes called hard money loans because the loans are backed by collateral, real estate, that can be sold if the borrower defaults. Real estate hard money loans typically last for a few months to a few years and allow the borrowers to access capital to remodel or upgrade a property before selling it or renting it and replacing the hard money loan with the traditional mortgage. The advantage to the borrower for hard money loans is a quick approval process, as these are non-traditional lenders. Now, they generally charge higher interest rates than on a traditional mortgage, but this is really temporary financing, kind of a bridge loan, while the real estate operator owner upgrades the property or does whatever needs to be done in order to get 
longer-term financing in place or to sell the property, hopefully for a profit. For investors on the Pier Street platform, this was new, an opportunity to build out a portfolio of high-yielding real estate loans by investing as little as $1,000 in each loan. Pier Street was founded in 2013 and was one of the first companies to build an online platform for hard money lending. Potential borrowers could get access to capital to, to remodel a home, to flip it or to rent it. Pier Street also developed relationships with other private lenders, originators who could get financing for deals that they sourced. Pier Street acted as the intermediary, arranging the loans, but also servicing the loans by processing the payments and handling foreclosure procedures if a borrower defaulted. When I met Crosby in San Diego, Pier Street had been in business about three years. The platform has just issued its 300th loan. The average interest rate across their portfolio was 8.5%, and the average loan amount as a percentage of the appraised value of the property was 65%. That's known as the loan-to-value ratio. 8.5% average loan rate at a time when traditional 30-year mortgages had interest rates of less than 4%. That's why these hard money loans are temporary, because the borrower is paying up for access to that capital. The average term on Pier Street for their loan portfolio in 2016 was 10 months. And at the time, through December 2016, Pier Street had experienced zero losses on the loans it had originated. Now, that doesn't mean some of them didn't go into default and there needed to be a workout, a a foreclosure, but because of the 65% loan-to-value ratio, there there was a cushion there, a buffer to allow Pier Street to access that collateral, sell it in the case of default. So the, the losses were zero. Pier Street was venture capital backed. In 2016, it received its Series A funding, and that funding round was led by venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz. During the meeting, Crosby encouraged me to give the platform a try. He followed up on a number of emails, so I studied the documentation, the offering documents, went back and forth with Crosby via email with follow-up questions. For example, in reviewing the private placement memorandum, it mentioned a spread between the original loan and the yield on the note. Now, that term note's pretty important because as individual investors investing on the Pier Street platform, we were investing in notes tied to the loans. We were not directly funding the loans. Pier Street was acting as the intermediary. This is an important distinction that I'll get to in a few minutes, and it was a distinction I didn't really appreciate At the time, I invested in Pier Street in the fall of 2016. Crosby pointed out that Pier Street's typical spread was 1%. In other words, the interest rate on the loan issued by Pier Street was 1% higher than the interest on the note tied to the loan that individual investors participated in on the platform. Crosby said that that servicing spread reduces yield to end investors slightly, but in in his opinion, he felt it was a fair trade-off for having a hassle-free and diversified investing experience. And the diversification he referred to was across loans, $1,000 per loan. The lenders, in other words, the, the number of different originators on the platform, that could be diversified. 
the ability for investors to diversify the geography, the, the term. And Crosby pointed out that these were benefits to individual investors that really weren't available prior to Peer Street. He even described it as a touchless investment because if there are defaults as individual investors, we didn't have to, to go arrange for the foreclosure. Peer Street handled all of that. I mentioned Peer Street in episode 133 of the podcast. That was released in November 2016, which was when I invested. And I shared details about the, a six-month note I invested in. A loan was secured by a rental property in Pasadena, California. The yield was 8.5%, and it had a loan-to-value ratio of 75%. This particular episode was on ways to invest in a rising interest rate environment, and with interest rates very low, an 8.5% yield was attractive. I focused on some of the risk. What if the borrower defaulted and the house had to be sold off and it sold off for less than the appraised value? I didn't discuss platform risk, and I should have, but I didn't really have a full understanding of it, even after spending all that time reading the documentation. Peer Street at the time was only available to accredited investors, those that met certain income or net worth requirements. I continued to invest on Peer Street's platform throughout 2017. Peer Street actually sponsored four episodes of Money for the Rest of Us in early 2017. And by the end of 2017, my allocation to Peer Street made up around 2% of my net worth. I typically put $1,000 in each loan. I kept the term one year or less. And generally, I, I tried to put it with borrowers that had decent credit. I would use their automated feature because there was so much competition to get these loans that oftentimes they would sell out quickly. And so by using the automated feature, I could get an allocation and then look at the particular deal and cancel it if I didn't want it. In that first year, I had no defaults throughout 2017 and really throughout 2018. One house in Ventura, California, burnt down due to wildfires. Others were, they would pay slow, but generally they would catch up. I discussed Peer Street again in early 2018 in plus episodes 192 and 193. This is the premium podcast for plus members. And after that, or, or be in between those episodes, one of our plus members is an attorney who has expertise in the crowdfunding platform space. He mentioned the bankruptcy risk, that these loans on Peer Street were mortgage-dependent promissory notes, that in the case of bankruptcy, holders of these notes would be unsecured creditors of Peer Street. Peer Street is who had the collateral on the real estate backing the loans. But as individual investors, we were unsecured creditors of Peer Street, a venture capital-backed firm where we had no financial information to judge its credit worthiness. I'll admit, I didn't really appreciate the bankruptcy risk of Peer Street back in 2016 and 2017 when I was investing. After this member's email, I was <laughs> much more concerned about it. It was a risk. And I made the decision then not to reinvest my proceeds in Peer Street. I let the notes mature and ran the portfolio down 
And by the summer of 2019, I had very little money invested on the platform. That one note in Ventura, California, the house that burnt down, that didn't get paid out until 2021. Since then, I've been much more cognizant of this platform risk. And there are ways that it's mitigated. Many of the platforms, the investments are set up in special purpose vehicles or SPVs, which appear to have more protection in the case of bankruptcy because they're set up as a, a separate legal entity apart from the crowdfunding platform. Another way that these platforms handle this is an entity like Masterworks that I invest in, that sponsors the podcast, that's selling art. Each work of art is its own security registered with the SEC. There's protection because it's its own security. It doesn't potentially get lumped in with other unsecured creditors in the case of bankruptcy, like we see with these payment contingent notes, where the investor only gets paid if payment is received by the platform that then passes it on to the note holder. My return over the two to three years I invested on the Peer Street platform was just about 7%. The interest rates started going down a little bit to where some of my notes were under 7% yield, but I had no losses. And I moved on. I didn't really give a whole lot of thought to Peer Street. We didn't really talk about it much on the podcast or the Plus membership other than pointing out platform risk, which we did a number of times and the whole idea of how these payment contingent notes are a risk in the case of the platform's bankruptcy. I discussed it in my book that came out in late 2019, but I wasn't an active investor on Peer Street. Didn't really keep in touch with Brett Crosby. A year ago, he posted on LinkedIn that he was stepping away from his day-to-day role at the company. He said he was proud of the two-sided marketplace that they had built. And one of his co-founders said in one of their weekly meetings in July 2022 that with the stock market down 20%, crypto losses in the trillions, and even safe bond funds down 6% and more, Over 98% of investors on Peer Street's platform have seen positive average returns on their investments over the course of their relationship with Peer Street. I actually was surprised that 2% did not see a positive return, given this is collateral-backed, real estate-backed notes. But when there is a default, one of the things some of our members found is the workout process for some of these, the foreclosures can take a long time. So 2% of investors did not have a positive return on the platform. Then that actually surprised me. Even more so, I was surprised what happened last month. Peer Street filed for bankruptcy under Chapter 11 of the U.S. Bankruptcy Code. And as part of that, Peer Street plans to sell all of its assets, including its mortgage loan assets and its technology platform. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard 
where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. David Dunn who is the chief restructuring officer for Peer Street, said that rising interest rates reduce demand for mortgages. Peer Street found there were fewer borrowers on the platform and fewer institutional investors willing to buy the loans. Institutional investors that Peer Street had begun selling loans to over the previous couple of years. Peer Street, as a venture capital-backed firm, had to grow incredibly fast. And so it wasn't enough just to take money from individual investors that wanted to invest on the platform and and find borrowers that wanted to flip houses. It it sort of went what the term we've used that I didn't make up, blitzscaling. The idea that you have to get bigger and bigger and bigger, even if you're not profitable. And so Peer Street sort of evolved into this full-scale mortgage servicing platform packaging up loans, selling them to institutional investors. And they were still very dependent on venture capital funding, particularly when the market dried up, the demand for mortgages. In 2021, Peer Street originated close to $700 million in mortgages. In 2022, it was $385 million in mortgages that it originated. And in 2023, $5.4 million. Essentially, the business collapsed. David Dunn said, in addition, in 2022, one of Peer Street's historic sources of funding, venture capital, declined markedly. As a result, Peer Street was not able to access material funding to mitigate the loss of revenue caused by market conditions. It had 281 employees in May 2022 
and then had four series of layoffs. And by the time it filed for bankruptcy, it had only 28 employees. When it filed for bankruptcy, Pier Street had $4.4 million in cash on hand, another $18.5 million in its mortgage business. There's 15 subsidiaries that filed for bankruptcy at the same time. Participants on the platform had no transparency on Pier Street's financial condition. This would have caught an investor off guard because they weren't reporting their financials, which cratered. Global venture capital funding has dropped over 50% in the past year. And that's including big funding in the AI space. About a fifth of venture capital funding this year is related to artificial intelligence. But companies, and there's 50,000 venture capital-backed companies currently, double the amount in 2016, and they're finding it incredibly difficult to raise capital. And the whole idea of blitzscaling is don't worry about profits, just grow your market share. But if that venture capital funding dries up, then these companies are at risk. And that's basically what happened to Peer Street. We don't know, but presumably they were profitable in 2021. I would hope originating $700 million in mortgages, but we don't know, which is the essence of platform risk. We don't know. And we have to mitigate against that risk. So where does that stand with Peer Street going out of business? That venture capital firm, Andreessen Horowitz, that led that Series A round, owns 21% of the equity. They'll more than likely lose their investment. Brewster Johnson, one of the the other co-founders, had a 13% stake. Now, in Chapter 11, Peer Street will continue to operate. So they're servicing the the loans. They're not paying out. You can't liquidate if you're a holder of one of these notes, you can't get your money if you have cash on the platform at this point. And there are potentially up to 10,000 retail investors still on the platform. I went through the claims list on the bankruptcy website. They list individuals by name. Many of them are owed $1,000, but there are definitely those that are owed over 100000 and individual investors that have over a million dollars invested on Peer Street's platform, which is incredibly disheartening because of the platform risk. If you look and you zoom in on some of these claims of individuals, they're categorized as general unsecured claims. Just like that attorney mentioned, they would be if Peer Street went bankrupt. Secured creditors are those that that have a lien on a specific property, but a general unsecured creditor ranks lower. They're last in line to receive payment behind the secured creditors and others that have priority claims, such as the IRS. Peer Street says that investors on the platform, the question is, it's in their FAQ, when will I get my money back? And they say that the funds will only be returned by agreement of the bankruptcy court. The next step is a meeting of creditors, which is a meeting where creditors are allowed to basically examine the debtor under oath, to gather information, to get a better understanding of assets and liabilities and income. And that's really what I couldn't find right now in terms of we know how much cash they have, but what is the state of their business? Presumably, it's not a situation like we saw with BlockFi where the money was misallocated or missing. This should be a fairly straightforward business. 
servicing mortgages where there's collateral. So hopefully the vast majority of client assets can be recovered. Unlike in the case of BlockFi, the cryptocurrency lender that filed for bankruptcy last fall in November 2022, where I saw a note that the Committee of Unsecured Creditors basically wants them to just liquidate at this point because of the, the costly legal delays. And, and they're saying the creditors committee that BlockFi's management should have known. They should have known that FTX's balance sheet was at risk in the fall of 2022 when BlockFi put hundreds of millions of dollars and lent it to FTX. This situation with Pierce Street isn't anything like that. At least it does not appear to be. It's going to take time to see how it works out. What do we learn from this? How do we mitigate platform risk? Well, first, it's so important to understand the structure of any investment, to, to understand, is, it, is this an unsecured liability or is there a special purpose vehicle or is it a security or is there something that keeps that investment segregated from the general assets of the platform entity? That's critical. And, it, and it's a risk that I didn't fully appreciate up until early 2018. Second is to understand, is there some type of insurance, some protection if the entity goes bankrupt? In the case of commercial banks, we have FDIC in the US and other insurance programs in other countries. If your broker goes bankrupt, a topic we discussed in episode 253, there's also security. In fact, in the US, a traditional brokerage bankruptcy, there those, those assets don't go into Chapter 11. There is a liquidation proceeding, and there's protection from the Securities Investor Protection Act in the case of the bankruptcy. But e- even in that case, because typically they're securities, they're just transferred to another broker. We, as investors, should have platform diversification. Just to be sure, even with SPVs, it's important if, as investors, we're investing in private asset platforms, we should have the diversification. Now, I often get asked regarding with a traditional broker, if you're with Vanguard or Fidelity and Schwab, should you have multiple brokers in the case of bankruptcy because of the, the SIPC insurance and, and the fact that most of the holdings are just in securities where there's protection there just because of the, the legal structure of the security. Generally, you don't need to have, at least I don't have more than one broker. But on the private side, that's incredibly important because there's just there's less transparency regarding it. And then finally, a different aspect of platform is if you have a business, not have the majority of your business dependent on one platform. We have friends that run a retail business and Instagram is a big part of their platform, bringing people in. And when that algorithm changes, that, that has hurt their business and they've had to find other ways. It's important to have a home base. So in the case of money for the rest of us, we have an email list. And while we're somewhat dependent on Apple Podcasts as it distributes our podcast, it isn't the main thing. So we're not entirely dependent on it. So we've diversified. So it's important not to be so dependent on one platform. If you host vacation properties, do Airbnb, but also do VRBO or others. So you're not beholden to one platform in case something happens that we don't anticipate. There's platform risk, but we can mitigate it. And we've clearly learned lessons on platform risk in the last couple of years with the 
bankruptcies related to cryptocurrency platforms, as well as this most recent crowdfunding platform, Peer Street. Please be careful when you're investing. Understand the risk, mitigate the risk, diversify, and especially in terms of the type of vehicle used. Make sure that it's in a special purpose vehicle or it's in a security so that you're protected in case the investing platform goes bankrupt. That's episode 440. Thanks for listening. I have loved teaching you about investing on this podcast for over nine years. Some topics, though, are just better explained in writing or with a chart. And that's why we have a weekly free email newsletter, The Insider's Guide. In that newsletter, I share charts, graphs, and other materials that can help you better understand investing. It's some of the most important writing I do each week. That's why I spend a couple hours on that newsletter on Wednesday morning, as I try to share something that will be helpful to you. If you're not on the list, please subscribe. Go to moneyfortherestofus.com to subscribe to the free Insider's Guide weekly email newsletter. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation, not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, in the economy. Have a great week.